starting a new sermon series today. As you know, we finished Lent and, uh, and celebrated Easter last week, and so in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about a resurrection life. Our scripture today comes from Luke 24, 36 through 47. Listen now that by faith we could hear God's word for us today. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name, in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the weeks of Lent, we were moving through a time before Jesus in the story arrived at Jerusalem. We were asking some very hard questions. The what about questions. You remember we asked, what about suffering in the world? What about when people betray us? What about dealing with our enemies? What about giving forgiveness to someone who's harmed us? What about God's wrath? These are the questions that haunted the very first Christians 2,000 years ago, and they continue to haunt us today. But as we walked through that season, we saw that our scriptures gave insight into how we might confront those questions. And clearly, many of those questions, those same questions were puzzling to the disciples as they tried to understand Jesus' trial and crucifixion. The gospels described to us that those first Christians were terrified. They bowed their faces down to the ground. Their hearts were burning. They were startled. They were joyful. They were disbelieving. They were wondering. They were astonished. The resurrection story is not an account of ghostly apparitions. It's not filled with ephemeral appearances of Jesus to his friends. These were not spiritual phantoms in the imagination of the disciples. Jesus went out of his way to make it clear that his resurrection body was real. He ate fish. They touched his side. They heard him speak. He answered their questions. All through the season of Lent, as we prepared ourselves for the coming of Easter, we saw how the disciples struggled. This was a confusing time for them. They had experienced three years of walking side by side with Jesus, watching his ministry, hearing his teachings. But on the days leading up to Holy Week, they thought they had it all figured out. They thought they understood what was to come, but they were wrong. The questions they had, the questions that even today that we face, left them puzzled. How were they to understand injustice? How were they gonna handle disappointment? How were they gonna treat their enemies? How might they forgive? Even these disciples, Jesus' closest friends, they were surprised by the outcome of Jesus' arrest. And yet they were the best prepared and best knowledgeable uh, apostles there were on the planet at that time for Christ. They were surprised by everything that happened, but most especially the resurrection. 
Intellectually, they could remember that Jesus predicted his death and resurrection, but in practical terms, it was overwhelming. It was a surprising game changer. Last week, Chad told us that the women at the tomb ran away in fear and in joy. And that's a perfect capsule of the mindset of those disciples in the days following Jesus' resurrection. That they did not understand and it made them fearful, but joy came to them in the prospect that Jesus was still alive and with them still. They were afraid. The world had been turned upside down in a way that was world changing, but they were lifted with a joy, sensing that new life that they were stepping into was something wonderful, exhilarating, better even than any outcome that they might have imagined that Holy Week would bring to them. When Jesus rose, everything changed. This was the single most significant moment in the history of mankind. It's a moment after which nothing is the same. The disciples were changed. They saw their lives in a whole new lens. Their worldview was turned upside down. Peter, the uneducated fisherman, became an articulate preacher. James, Jesus' skeptical brother, became a a, a stalwart leader in the church, church in Jerusalem. And what changed was not only their grasp of Jesus' life and death, but their understanding of their very own lives, what they were to do, how they were to live. Jesus in his resurrected body was giving them a blueprint of how their lives in Christ was going to unfold. Consider with me for a minute what we know about Jesus' appearance on earth after his resurrection. How did Jesus use the power of the resurrection to model Christian life for, for them and for us? First thing is Jesus showed up. Jesus spent 40 days on earth after his resurrection. During this time, he calmed his followers' doubts. He gave them direction for the future. He didn't call press conferences. He didn't confront his Roman persecutors and rub their noses in their failure. He showed love on earth to people that needed to see it. Jesus showed up. Secondly, Jesus modeled community. Jesus was never a lone ranger Messiah. From breaking bread with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, to having breakfast on the beach like we just heard with his disciples, we see Jesus making time for relationships. Jesus was never too busy to stop and show that he cared. He connected with his people. Next, I would have you note that Jesus comforted the brokenhearted. When Jesus returned, he was not frustrated or angry that his disciples hadn't understood his plan. He patiently met with them in uncertainty and fear that they were experiencing. Jesus consoled the woman weeping at the tomb. He eased Thomas's doubts. He spoke words of life and peace. He spoke healing to anxiety. Next notice that Jesus redeemed mistakes. Before the crucifixion, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. But later we see Jesus restoring Peter by asking him three times if he loved him and instructing Peter to care for his flock. Even though Peter stumbled in his faith, it didn't cancel his identity in Christ. It didn't alter Christ's love for Peter. Jesus restored lapsed faith. Notice lastly that Jesus instructed and empowered. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his followers what to do, to go and make disciples of all people. So scripture gives us a very clear picture of the resurrected Jesus. The counts of the resurrection are not stories of ghostly apparitions. There's no spooky Jesus. The resurrection defines for us in fresh terms 
what it is to be a follower of Jesus, to become the people that he intended us to be. And if we are resurrection people, if we are people who value Easter and the story for what it really is, we know that this resurrection story is not a fanciful tale, it's an instruction manual. The resurrection body is a new creation and it results in new life, a resurrection life. The resurrection life leaves death behind. It leaves evil behind, but it embraces service and it sets everything that we do in delightful order. The resurrection life that we have here is not now just simply hoping for an eternal heavenly life after we die, but living now, living in the truth, allowing it to lead, help us lead an abundant life. The disciples in Jerusalem, they got it. The apostles who took the good news of the gospel over the next decades all around the world, they got it. And now we can get it too. The resurrection not only promises that death is not the end here and that there's eternal life to come, but in the meantime, during our days and our years on this earth, we can now be a new creation, living the resurrection now, being Easter people now. Consider what a resurrection life might look like, how it might inspire our days here and now. How might resurrection people show up in circumstances where God's people need our presence? Think Vacation Bible School. Think serving on session. Think assisting Travis with the youth. Think about Kids Hope. Jesus showed up, he appeared. How exactly do we, resurrection people, show up? Think, where might resurrection people model community? Might it be in a Sunday school class? Might it be in a choir? Might it be in a women's circle, men's life, grief share? What Christian communities would benefit by your being a part of it? How might resurrection people show up and live in community? Where might resurrection people seek out brokenhearted folks? Who might you encounter that has a heavy heart, that's bearing a burden alone, who's desperate to know that there is a God who heals and comfort? Where are the people that need to hear these words and where might resurrection people find them? Where might resurrection people find other people who have guilt and shame that may lead them to think that there is no forgiveness? Can resurrection people, should resurrection people share the truth that there is nothing that anyone can do that will separate them from God's love for them? How might resurrection people share that good news? Can resurrection people bring to bear Christ's gospel that others would be emboldened to grasp a life of confidence and purpose? We know what Jesus' resurrection life looked like. The question is now, what will our resurrection life look like? How do Easter people appear in this world of questions and anxiety and fear? What would Jesus do? And perhaps more importantly, what is Jesus doing right now through us, his resurrection people? I'm gonna tell you a secret that you may have figured out, but maybe not. When I was a in, in, uh, kid growing up, and we, always in the church, we were always told that if there was a, a question that you didn't know the answer to, the answer in church was always Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, right. I hope you've found out that that is not the case in our church right now. Uh, our friend Chad has been, has been 
challenging us those questions recently. And, and probably what you figured out is that these days when he says, where do we go for the answers? What is the answer to this question? The answer is always the garden in Genesis, right? Okay. So where should we go to find out some more about this, this information? The garden in Genesis. Since the original story of creation in Genesis, since the opening chapters of the entire Bible, the account of how God's people became separated from their God is revealed. The serpent persuaded Adam and Eve that God was not their friend and could not be trusted. Their separation from God was not a punishment for them. It was a natural consequence of their behavior. Chad reminded us that God was angry. He was often angry, but he was not only angry. He was also brokenhearted and saddened by the estrangement from his people. And the entire stories of scripture, from the first few chapters of Genesis to the end of Revelation, is the story of how God has worked out healing in that broken relationship, working to reconcile himself to his created people. For thousands of years, God and his people, by God's hand, got closer and closer to each other, and then by human hands, got farther and farther apart. By the time of Jesus, the Jews were still anxiously, hopefully waiting for their long-anticipated Messiah who could lead them to the road back to their creator, God. They couldn't see, even Christ's own disciples couldn't see how the Messiah that they needed had come, that their questions could be answered, their fears could be relieved. But now, the resurrection changes everything. Jesus' resurrection is ironclad evidence that God is on our side. He always has been and he always will be. It's changed the world. Nothing like Christ being raised from the dead had ever happened before and has never happened since. But the resurrection is not just a world changer, it's a people changer. No one who calls on Christ as their savior is left unchanged. We who are drawn to live a resurrection life find our goals more noble. We find our service more holy. We find our lives more abundant. Christians are not immune to suffering and sadness, but they learn to watch out, to seek for Christ's hands on them during tough times. And they find themselves grateful to remember that they are not alone. Resurrection people see each other and all the people around them with fresh eyes. We see the truth that each of us are immortal beings created in God's image. And Christ's body was resurrected from death. Christian believers are transformed. Over the next few weeks, I hope that you'll be joining us because we're gonna talk about this some more, about what it feels like and looks like to the world to be resurrection people, to be Easter people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of the resurrection of Jesus. We know it was a costly gift for you to give, making it even more important that we understand it fully and allow it to make us into the people that you called us to be. We now know that death is not the cause for ultimate dismay. Death is not now, nor will it ever be the end of the story. Christ has seen to that. And we know that great joy awaits when we pass from this dark world into eternal life. But we can also give thanks that in this life, in our days in this imperfect world, that same resurrection can guide our lives and bless our days until you call us home. We lift all this up to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.